0: Good morning, and thank you all for coming out this morning. As Will has said, we're starting a five-week series, and the five-week series is focusing on the book of 2 Thessalonians, and then at the end of June, for three weeks in the evening, we'll be looking at the eternal hope that we as Christians have of the future of heaven and where we will abide with God. But this morning, I have been given the task of bringing an overview and preparing the topic Now, it's not going to be straightforward or easy because it is a very, very complex area of studying. And so bear with me while we simplify it and bring it right back to basics. What is around the next corner? I don't know if you're like me when you're driving at night and the headlights are going and you're driving along, and even with all the modern headlights that you've got, You think what on earth is around the next corner? I was going to use this as my opening illustration, but I've changed it. Because this morning on the way in, as I tried to negotiate Belfast, I was trying to figure out what is around the next corner. Because every corner I turned it was road closed, diversion. And all I had to do, if I had any sense at all, was look at a map before I left. Because there was a map, showing the route of the marathon, and if I had looked at the map, I would have known exactly what was around the next corner. I'm a very patient, calm individual when I'm driving. Just ask my wife. (laughs) But what is around the next corner for us? What is around the next country corner for us as a world? What is around the next corner for you and for me? And so we come to look at a topic which has been around us for many, many years. You used to see men carrying this placard, the end of the world is nigh. And nowadays, you don't see it, you don't hear about it very often. People don't talk about the fact that the end of the world is nigh. And yet, if I was to ask and go around this congregation and ask people as to why they came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ— quite a few of you will say it is because what I heard regarding the teaching of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I was asking you, and I'm not going to do it for a show of hands, I would guarantee you that quite a number of you were influenced by that teaching. And so we have that. You've also had this. You have been warned again and again and again at the end of the world is nigh. If you can remember, some people will tell you that the end of the world will take place on such and such a date, that the Bible will tell you that the, the, the world will end on such and such a time, and it goes on and on, and the press just love to pick it up, and they put up a massive headline talking about the end of the world, and then the following day, you get a little statement like this here, end of the world, which was scheduled for the 21st of December 2012, has been postponed to 30 2012 due to some technical problems. We apologize for the inconvenience. But all that that does is ridicules and makes a nonsense of what the Bible teaches, because the Lord Jesus Christ says you will not know. You will not know when it will happen. And so why sometimes we, we focus on the prophecies, and we focus on the interpretations of the prophecies, and we read the press, and we look at the press, and we draw our timelines, and we read all the books of the day, the reality is we do not know when it will happen. But I want to show you that I believe we are getting close to the end later on. And then thirdly, we also have this. We have individuals who spend significant amount of time, i am not being critical of you, if that, you're one of them, because I would be one of them as well, but we, we spend an incredible amount of time studying charts and studying Scripture, and we get this very, very complex and complicated chart of the end times timeline. And all we do at the end of it is enjoy a debate and a discussion with somebody else. And the reality is that that is not what the Bible is for. Yes, it is there. Yes, it is an interesting topic. Yes, it is worth looking at. But that's not why the Bible teaches end-time results. Can I just remind you that the Bible contains over 350 prophecies. 120 of them have been fulfilled at the incarnation, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. The rest of them are still to be fulfilled. But the 120 which were fulfilled at the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and the scholars who studied them and talked about the coming of the Messiah and looked at it in great detail and had worked it all out, never, ever, ever saw a baby born in a manger. Nobody saw that. And so we can have our charts and all we do is we end up with debates and discussions. But the reality is we do not know. There are signs, which we will look at. There are passages of Scripture, which we will consider. But the reality is, we do not know. So, let's turn to the Bible. If you want to look at the Bible in front of you, if you look at the book of 1 Thessalonians, we will be looking at 2 Thessalonians, but I have given the task of introducing the topic. And so, what I want to do is, I want to read from 1 Thessalonians in the Pew Bible. It is page number 987. And the text is there on the screen. We're reading from verse number 37 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 13, sorry, of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We'll come back to these words in this passage again. But what does it say? In summary, it says, we who are alive alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. I want to just emphasize something at the very outset to you. We as Christians, not only just in this church, Not only just within the evangelical movement, not only just within, if you want to use the term, the Protestant church, not only just within the Protestant Catholic, within the whole of Christendom, the whole of Christendom, every person believes that Jesus Christ is coming back again. And the amazing thing is this, it's not only Christendom teaches it. I understand that Islam teaches that Jesus Christ will come back again. But our focus is on the Bible and what the Bible teaches about Jesus Christ. And the fact is that the person who was here, who was born in Bethlehem, who died on a cross, who rose from the dead, will return again. Now, I preached this message one night from this very platform a number of years ago. And as I was shaking hands at the door, a gentleman who I think was from France came up to me and he said to me, you are mad. Now, many people have told me I'm mad before, but he said, you are mad. I said, why? He says, you cannot. Possibly believe that a man who has died and who's been buried will come back again. That is nonsense. You're mad. I'm not mad. The reality is that Jesus Christ will come back again. When? We don't know. But I'm convinced that he'll come back in my lifetime and very soon. Paul picks it up and he says, The Lord himself, the Lord himself, Not, not, not a spirit being, not some kind of a ghostly figure, but the Lord himself, in body, will descend from heaven with a shout. And we shall be caught up to meet the Lord, and we shall be forever with the Lord. I have read these passages, and I usually read them at funeral services. Frequently, whenever we're at the graveside, I will read them. Because the hope is there that we will rise and we will meet the Lord. So what is round the next corner? Well, let's break down what Paul has just said in 1 Thessalonians 4. He says there will be the resurrection of all believers. The resurrection of all believers? Yeah. Someday, the graveyards across this globe are going to see a tremendous event. Because those who have been buried throughout all of the age of the church, will rise to meet the Lord Jesus Christ physically and in the air. We will have the resurrection of all believers. We will have the rapture of all believers. Now, the term rapture doesn't exist in the Bible. It's one that has been associated with this event. And what we mean by the rapture of all believers is that the believers will rise to meet the Lord Jesus Christ in the air. Over the number of months and years, I have taken a number of funeral services. We were driving home after one funeral service, and my wife very delicately says, You know, we're getting on a bit. I said, Well, you are. You're older than me. Oh, I shouldn't, sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Well, we are. We're getting older. She says, um, maybe we should make preparations for our funeral services. I said, I don't need to make a preparation for a funeral service. She says, well, why not? Well, She says, if you want to prepare, she says you can sing, be now my vision, close in prayer and go home, but I don't need to prepare. She says, why not? I said, I'm believing in, in the rapture. I don't believe I'm going to die. And she said, well, maybe you'd just like to have a plan B. I don't believe I'm going to die. What an outrageous statement. What a ridiculous statement for a world that is declining and dying around the world. I don't believe I'm going to die. And Christians throughout the ages do not believe they're going to die. They're going to believe that the Lord Jesus Christ will come. Even Paul, when he wrote this here, said, we believe. We. We live in the anticipation that Jesus Christ will come back and will rapture, and we'll be reunited with the Lord Jesus Christ. I went on one of my trips to England to Southern Cathedral, and when you go into Southern Cathedral, it's a beautiful, beautiful cathedral, and there you sit in the darkness, the natural darkness of a cathedral with the lights coming through the window, and right away, way, way back up in the top of the roof of the cathedral, there's a statue the gold artistic representation of Jesus Christ returning again. And I confess I sat there and looked up into that gold little statue up there, right away up in the darkness of the roof eliminated by a single light. And I sat and wondered what will it be like What will it be like? We will have a reunion with the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, Paul says, I want to reassure you. I want you to notice that why he's written this is to the people of Philippi, the people of Thessalonica, because the people of Thessalonica were all confused. They were all mixed up. There had all sorts of teaching coming in. And he says, I want to reassure you about this.'" And so, therefore, the reason we have the teaching on the second coming is not to complicate us, not to frighten us, not to make life difficult, not to create an academic debate. The reason we have the teaching on the second coming throughout the whole of Scripture is reassurance and that we may live in the light of His coming. Twenty years ago, Danny Crooks and I produced a PowerPoint presentation. Um, It's amazing, it still survives. And I must apologize for the simplicity of the graphics and all the rest, but this was cutting edge 20 years ago. (laughs) But here is a very, very simple diagrammatic illustration of what Paul was teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We have the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, illustrated by the crosses. The Lord Jesus Christ died. He went into the grave, the yellow line. He rose again. And then he ascended up into heaven, which is illustrated by the yellow line. And then we end a period which is known as the church age. And the blue line illustrates what happens to Christians who have died during that period those who have died as christians their, their soul and their spirit ascend to heaven and their body goes into the grave that's what that little graphic illustrates but then it says for the lord himself will descend with heaven from heaven with a shout and then it says with the voice of an archangel and then it says with the trumpet of god whether these three are simultaneous or separate we could discuss but the fact is he will come. There'll be a voice, there'll be a shout, there'll be a trumpet. And then what happens is the dead in Christ, those in the blue line, will rise first. Very clear. The dead in Christ will rise first. And then it says, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we will be caught up to meet the Lord Jesus Christ in the air and will be forever with the Lord. That little diagram summarizes what I have been saying and what we have read. That if we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, There is a day coming, and coming soon, when we will rise to meet the Lord in the air. And that is universally believed by Christians across the globe. But then let's move into the second half of our reading. And if we go to, again, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we pick up from verse 1, again, page 987. For you are children of light, children of the day. And over to verse number 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, and again, look at the words, therefore encourage one another, build one another up just as you are doing. There are three phrases in that section that we must focus on. There are three very key phrases. Time will not permit us to look at them in any sort of detail, but there are the times and the seasons, the day of the Lord, and a thief in the night. And there are two distinct passages of Scripture which we have read. Chapter 4 talks about the Lord Jesus Christ coming for his church please understand this. This is crucial. Chapter 4, which we looked at earlier, talks about the Lord Jesus Christ coming for his church, which I have placed the title, The Rapture. Chapter 5, the day of the Lord, is not talking about the Lord Jesus Christ coming for his church. It is a time of judgment. And so, therefore, what happens is, in chapter 4, while it runs straight into chapter 5, that is where the tensions exist within our circles. Some people believe the rapture occurs, and then there's a period of tribulation, and then you have the second coming. Some people believe the rapture occurs, and you then have the second coming. And there's all sorts of issues. But I'm not getting into that this morning. Well, I'm into it, I suppose. I'm not getting any further into it, because that's not what we're here about. Chapter 4 talks about what happens to us as Christians. Chapter 5 talks to us about what happens to those who are not Christians, and those who are here to face if you want the day of the Lord. Now, let me explain myself. I'm going to call this up, don't walk in your sleep. And the reason I picked this title, and just say this in passing, it's from Warren Wearsby's book, and it is one of the amazing writings that he has done. Warren Wearsby passed away during the past week. He is a remarkable writer. And if you want to read some of the material about the Christian faith, go and pick up a Warren Wearsby book, and you will not go far wrong. But he entitles chapter 5, Don't Walk in Your Sleep. And the first phrase is, at times and seasons... Now, times and seasons is only used three times in the whole of the Bible. Three times. That phrase, the times and seasons. And each time it is God ordaining and God in control and God moving the nations of the world. And in particular, it relates to Israel and God's movement and dealing with Israel. And all of this will culminate in the day of the Lord. And sometimes we think that nobody is in control, that nobody is in charge, that nobody knows what's going on. I'm reminded of the young fellow who went up for his airplane flight. And he was flying, and the instructor was there in a wee single airplane, and he showed him how to fly, and he says, and now we'll land. And the instructor looked, and he thought, my goodness, this young fellow is really, really calm. He's handling this landing really, really well. And we went down and down and down and down, and they hit the ground with an almighty clatter and a thump. The, the plane bounced straight up in the air again, and the poor old instructor pulled himself together, managed to get control of the plane and land he says, He says, I thought you knew what you were doing when you were landing the plane. You know, Phyllis says, I wasn't landing it. I thought you were doing it. And that is exactly what we think at times, that nobody is in control, that all control in this world has completely and totally been lost. But God is in control. God is moving the nations of this world. God is maneuvering the politics of this world. God is working with the individuals of this world. And every time you see the word times and seasons, and in particular in the Old Testament, you see God moving. And God is moving in remarkable ways right now. Right now. Within the nations of this world. But the second one is the day of the Lord. And this phrase is important because it comes up in 2 Thessalonians and a lot of the focus of 2 Thessalonians is on the day of the Lord. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. I don't want to start talking about what is going to follow over the next couple of days. But the day of the Lord refers to the time of judgment when God will judge the world and will punish the nations and prepare the world and in particular for the return of his Son. And so if you wanted to use a a technical term, I believe it is a period of tribulation culminating in the return of the second coming of Christ. And the third phrase is a thief in the night. Now one night, my wife and I went to bed. Sound asleep. I went to work the next morning. I got a phone call. She said, were you in the conservatory this morning? I, no chance of that. When I was working, I got up, got washed, got my breakfast, and straight out the front door. I'd never go near the conservatory. I said, no. I said, why? She says, the window's wide open. I said, well, I didn't open it. And when we went and I came home and we investigated, the window had been pushed open, and all the ornaments had been pushed away to the side, and somebody had come in, but unfortunately had been interrupted and had come no further. We didn't know a thing about it until the next morning. That's the way in which a thief operates. He doesn't come along and ring your doorbell and say, by the way, at nine o'clock tomorrow morning, I'm going to burgle your house. be handy if they did, but they don't. You don't know when it's going to happen. And so he's saying that the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to occur like a thief in the night. And this is picked up, and he says, whenever he says, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. You see the whole question there, will not escape of punishment. And God pouring out his wrath he used an interesting phrase there, labor pains. Sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. I have never had that experience. But I'm assured that you do know when it happens. But not only when labor pains come, but labor pains are just the, the start of a process. And the Lord Jesus Christ actually uses the same words. In Matthew chapter 24, he says, but all of this is the beginning of birth pains and more to follow. In Matthew chapter 24, his disciples ask the Lord Jesus Christ about his coming again. And it's a very, very interesting chapter, but also quite complex. And if you're reading it, remember it's like a basket with different weavings, different things coming to the surface and disappearing again. But he says, it is like labor pains. He says, there are signs that I am coming back again. Labor pains start off gentle and they escalate, and they escalate, and they come to that point of crescendo. He says, that is what's going to happen. And so he says in Matthew 24 that there are signs for his coming again. These are not ones that I have made up, nor am I going to try to apply them, nor am I going to say this is it, and this is that, and this is the other. I don't believe in that. But one author has very, very carefully very cleverly, taking the 10 signs of Matthew 24 and started them all with the letter D. He starts with deception. He says, there will be false Christs. The Lord Jesus Christ said, in the labor pains, there will be people who claim that I am the Christ. There will be dissension. There'll be wars and rumors of wars, and these will escalate and they become more and more pronounced. There will be devastation. There will be famine. There will be people across the globe are starving today. We have never seen famine like it on this planet before, and it's to get worse. There is disease. There is pestilence, uncurable disease that will come, disease that will strike mankind. And up to now, we have been very, very fortunate, and we've been able to deal with a lot, but the Lord Jesus Christ says, yeah, but it's going to get and he says it's going to be disaster and earthquakes and major earthquakes and natural disasters will start and these are all the beginning and then he says there's death and, and there'll be martyrdom I don't know if you looked at the press but our foreign secretary this very week said that the Christian church is the most oppressed and persecuted group of people on this planet today millions of Christians today are being persecuted, and many thousands are dying because of their Christian faith. There will be disloyalty. People will be betrayed one another. There will be delusion. There will be, there will be false prophets will emerge and claim to have the answer. There will be defection, and people will leave, and, and their love for the Lord Jesus Christ will go cold. And he says there will be declaration. The gospel will be declared across all of the globe. And he says, when you see all of these things start to come together, then you have got birth pains, and they'll become more and more intense and more intense till I come back again. The reality is, That's our newspaper headlines today. Tomorrow. That's it. And I firmly believe that we are in this period of labor pains, which are becoming more and more and more acute. The Lord Jesus Christ said, I will come again. And I will come for my church. And I will come and I will take my church out. And I will come and I will pour out God's wrath upon this world. And I will come back again. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, you want to know what's going to happen before him? Okay. I'll give you an outline. And here they are. And so, living in the light of Christ's return, we have... The fact that He is coming again, and that the end is now. We've looked at the fact that there have been many attempts to, to try to place a date that is false. We sometimes get caught up in the theory and the patterns and the, and the programs, and we lose the reality of how we should live in the light of Christ's return. The reality is Jesus Christ is coming back again. And the light, living in the light, Paul said, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ was to come back tonight, where would you be? Where would you I leave that thought It's a solemn thought. He said there are birth pangs. There will crescendo. He will come. And he says, I have offered my salvation to you. I'm offering it now. But if he were to come tonight, where would you be? And the second, comfort one another with these words. Encourage one another, build up one another, just as you are doing. The reality of living in the light of Christ's return is not academic exercises, theories, and proposals. The living in the light of Christ's return is the teaching of 2 Thessalonians and dealing with the world in which we are going to face it and living as Christians in a hostile, difficult, difficult, dangerous environment, and that's Second Thessalonians. But what we have got to do is this, encourage one another. Many of you will know Patricia Steen. As you leave the building, you will see out there is a painting in memory of her. She was a missionary in Brazil, and I would have met Patricia as she slowly passed away. And she sat in a, a room in her brother's house. And she sat and she looked out over the beautiful countryside of County Down. And I can remember sitting with Patricia, she was very ill. She knew she was dying. And as we sat and talked, I said, Patricia, look out there look up and see in the sky. You have a view, a beautiful view. And I said, do you know something, Patricia? If he comes today, you'll see him first. And she smiled, and she said, I believe he's coming for me. He did come for her. He did come for her. He came quietly one morning on, on, on her own, took her home. But she believed right up to the very end that one day there would be a shout, there would be the voice of the archangel, there would be the trumpet of God, and that she would rise to meet the Lord in the air. What a comfort! What a blessing! What a hope! What a transforming message for each and every one of us. Jesus Christ is coming back again. Jesus Christ is coming back soon. We are going to be living in a hostile and a difficult world, as these studies are going to show us. But we are to live in anticipation of His coming. And the question is, if He was to come tonight, are you ready? Are you ready? Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful truth that Jesus Christ is coming back again. We thank you, our Father, for this hope that each of us have, and we thank you, our Father, for the hope that we can have as we live in a hostile and difficult world. We believe, our Father, that you will come for us, that you will take us as a church to meet you in the air those who have died rising first, and those of us who are remain, meeting the Lord in the air. And for that day, we wait. But our Father, we pray that as we live in this hostile world, as we live in a world which is decaying, as we live in a world which is declaring that you do not exist, help us to live in an appropriate manner. Help us to live in the hope Of your coming. And Father, for those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ in a real and personal way, Lord, we would pray that you would speak into their very lives this morning. We thank you, our Father, for what we have heard through your word in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ.